Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, a staple of Louisiana kitchens for nearly 40 years. Maker of batters, coatings, boils, tartar sauce, cocktail sauce, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. From our studios in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, this is Louisiana Eats. I'm Poppy Tooker. Who taught you how to cook? Was it a favorite family member? Or perhaps it was Julia Child on public TV. Maybe you learn new tips and tricks by devouring cookbooks on the weekend just for fun. The education of a professional chef can be just as varied, be it a formal degree or on-the-job training. On this week's show, we explore culinary learning. We begin at one of Louisiana's educational treasures, the New Orleans Center for the Creative Arts. As they celebrate their 50th anniversary this year, we thought it would be a good time to revisit our trip to NOCA's campus, where chefs Emeril Lagasse and Dana Tui explain the origins of NOCA's culinary arts program. Then, cooking school director Dee Levine talks with us about African-American chef and entrepreneur Lena Richard. By the 1940s, Richard had become the Crescent City's premier caterer, educator, and the first local TV food personality. Finally, we look outside of Louisiana to learn how Anne Willen, founder of the famous La Varenne Cooking School, achieved success on both sides of the pond. We're meeting the teachers who are guiding and mentoring the chefs of tomorrow on this week's Louisiana Eats. The New Orleans Center for Creative Arts was founded 50 years ago in 1973 welcoming its first students in 1974. Since then, promising young talent from across the region have found a place for in-depth training in a variety of artistic fields. Among NOCA's impressive list of alums, you'll find world-class musicians like John Baptiste, Harry Connick Jr., and the Marsalis Brothers. Other notable graduates include writer Lolas Eric Eli, poet Kim Suni, actor Wendell Pierce, and me. <laughs> but it wasn't until 2011 that a new discipline was officially added to the Institute's curriculum, culinary arts. This addition was due in no small part to the efforts of Chef Emeril Lagasse, who, like many of NOCA's graduates, is today a household name. Uh, I'm Emeril Lagasse, uh, chef and restaurateur. For the behind-the-scenes story of how the program got its start, we met with Emeril at Press Street Station on NOCA's campus. It's a pretty interesting story, actually, because um, 
I've been now here in New Orleans for over 30 years. Being a musician and being into arts, I had been, since they were uptown, sort of a fan watching NOCA and seeing people like the Marcellus brothers that came out of that program, as well as what I think a lot of people don't realize is that they also have um, a really serious production program as well, producing theater, producing events, etc. So I always wondered why they didn't have in such an amazing food town in the world as New Orleans is a culinary arts program that always stuck with me and stuck in the back of my head. So I got involved with the folks with a dream to begin a culinary arts program in this great school called NOCA. Did you have any trouble convincing the powers that be at NOCA that culinary arts deserved its place here with dance and theater and the rest of the arts? It just was a matter of timing. The people running the program was great timing and it was great timing for the Emerald Lagasse Foundation as well that my wife and I started, Alden. The foundation's about inspiring children to mentor children to uh, maybe where you're not coming from such a great place. We first started by really sort of funding and sponsoring a summer program with uh, maybe a dozen students to really sort of try it out as sort of a pilot. That program was so successful, I went to my alma mater, Johnson Wales. They wrote the curriculum, which on a college level converted it to a high school level. That led to a second year, sort of a trial and error that we were learning, the curriculum, teaching facilities, etc. The other interesting thing you talk about faith is that it just so happened to be the time where my chef in Las Vegas, someone who's worked with me for over 20 years, wanted to move back to New Orleans where she grew up. It just so happened that her newly husband, it was also from New Orleans, who worked for me, in the front of the house as a general manager, they wanted to move back to New Orleans. And so it was perfect because Dana became the chef instructor of the program. So it couldn't have been a better connection for all involved. More importantly, a better connection for the students. That's kismet. That's true kismet, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I believe that if you think big, you can be big. If you think small, you will remain small. And so we had big dreams of buying this facility and really turning it upside down into a major culinary program on a high school level. That first teaching kitchen was state-of-the-art, breathtaking. Explain to us how you've topped what you started with. So state-of-the-art kitchen, obviously, uh, pastry area, garde area, a butcher shop to learn about fabricating meats and fish, we're now getting even more success with really flushing students out, sending them to culinary schools like Johnson & Wales, like the Culinary Institute of America. And people do not hesitate when they say that they are a NOCA student. They have to say no more because they know that their grades are going to be great and they know that their work ethic is going to be great. 
and they know that their kitchen skills are going to be great. Um, I had an interesting uh, young man who is in Italy right now, uh, externing, and to see this young man be unfortunately involved with drugs and uh, being on a stoop here in New Orleans talking about where his life's going to go to entering our program and being educated and now traveling, being more educated, he's turned into a fine young man as a representation of not only the foundation, but more importantly, NOCA, New Orleans. That's a good thing. So this gives you a really clear example, I believe, of how you know, we can boast about the kids who graduate and make it to the CIA and make it to Johnson and Wales. But if you make it through the program here, the truth is you can make it anywhere. Well, you can make it anywhere and you'll be prepared to go into the workforce and be mentally and physically prepared as well as having a really good understanding of basic knowledge of cooking. And that's the thing about, you know, cooking. When you can understand the culture, it makes you understand the people. And when you can understand the culture and the people, then you can understand the food. And that's how I, I live, uh, and I live by that. In the future, we can produce better cooks, better chefs, and better people. Chef Emeril Lagasse, of the Emerald Lagasse Foundation. After learning about the inception of NOCA's culinary arts curriculum, it was time to see it in action. When we arrived at the teaching kitchen, we were greeted by the founding faculty chair of the program. My name is Dana Danzi Tui. I am the department chair at the Culinary Arts Studio here at NOCA. A New Orleans native, Dana Tui first met Emeril Lagasse in the 1980s when the two of them worked together at Commander's Palace. After running operations at Emeril's Las Vegas restaurants, Dana came home to serve as the culinary department chair, a position she's held for over a decade. We are now in the Forum, the Chevron Forum, which is the second building for the NOCA campus. And what we have over here in the Emerald Lagasse Foundation Culinary Studio is a main kitchen with four suites where we're able to mimic what it's like to be in a restaurant with a cold prep side and a hot production side with all these prep tables down the center. In addition to this main kitchen, we also have a bake shop and we have a butcher shop. So we're able to section out and do some specialization as they increase in the levels. We can do smaller groups, lots of hands-on special with guest chefs, mentors, we're just a lot more versatile over here. So Chef Emerald's vision and his brainchild was to have a culinary school that could train the future chefs of New Orleans, the future chefs of America and the world. Uh, his feeling about education and promoting 
the opportunity for youth was the foundation for it. We have seen as many as 50 to 60 applicants per year. We take as many as we feel will work together as a good team. So there's nothing written in stone about how many that might be. One year we took 10, one year we took 12. How does a student get into the culinary program here for starters? We have a fairly intensive audition process where after an audition information session in which we do a little bit of teaching, a little bit of um, information delivery, let them understand what we're about, how we go about things, how much are they going to do in their own work and their research. Then they come in, they take a math test because we know cooking is about fractions and conversions. Um, we do a lot of hands-on work with product identification and that is more about are they interested and available to something new rather than do they know it because if they know everything they don't need to be here right <laughs> we're here to teach them a few things we talk about cooking techniques and we talk about leading sauces there's many many things that they are tested on their knowledge base and then we do a one-on-one -on -one interview and they have to basically prove to us through their passion and their previous work, how much does this mean to them? When a student does the four-year program here, what do they end up with? Other than a high school diploma, which they can get either here at NOCA through the academic studio or ascending school, they will have a extreme leg up into the workplace. They can walk into the workplace and get a job and progress very, very quickly. They are put into a position where they can test out of a lot of post-secondary schooling if they choose to continue in culinary. They can also hopefully test out of some business applications if they're maybe going into hotel restaurant administration or any sort of restaurant um, business applications. So, here we are on a Wednesday at NOCA. What's going on in the kitchen here? What would an average day for a culinary student be like? I don't think there is an average day here. <laughs> I, guess that's like, I guess that's like asking for a chef's average day. Exactly. Yeah. But today we are just entering our phase of studying Japanese cuisine because we're traveling the world through food so we're studying all the international foods right now. So we just started and today they're doing a uh, soy and balsamic glaze baked chicken. And they are doing some prep on ponzu and it looks like they're doing some prep with some udon noodles. Oh, we're also working on a Japanese curry. Like, yeah, I'm very excited about that. What are y'all working on? We are working on caramelizing onions for um, the Japanese curry. I'm Maddie Burke. I'm a level three culinary student at NOCA. You don't get your academic work here. You go elsewhere to school, yes? Right, so they like call it partner school. So I spend the first half of the day at Sacred Heart and then I come here for, at 12.45, I leave there for class. Your classmates at Sacred Heart, are, are they surprised by how you're spending your afternoons? They love it. Um, because that means that like, whenever they come over to my house, I'm always one that cooks. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of those things that whenever I tell them I go to NOCA, 
they're like, oh, what discipline do you go for? And when I say culinary, they're like, what? Like, it's not like the typical answer that they would expect. And, and what do you hope to do in your culinary career? So I am more interested in the medical side. So um, Tulane's um, food medicine center has like this huge summer program that they're inviting college students from Johnson and Wales to come down and um, volunteer for. So I'm going to try to get involved with that. Good luck with that. Thank it's a you. pleasure to meet you. You too. I'm Sierra Torres. I'm a level four student in the culinary arts program at NOCA. Nice to meet you. So nice to meet you too. What has your experience been like here over the four years? Oh, wow, that's such a big question. Yes. Well, but um, I imagine you came in with expectations. Oh, I was so scared when I first started. I was like, oh, I have to be some master chef who knows all. The, I like spent several weeks before trying to learn the like French sauces and everything because I was so scared. And I was a vegetarian for seven years before I came to Noka. The first meat I cooked to practice, my family told me it tastes like dog food, and I was just like so defeated. <laughs> but now I'm not a vegetarian, but I mean, just like over the past four years, I've learned so much about food, and it's just like been something that's not just like you eat or um, that I come to class for every day. Like it can, I'm totally consumed by it. Um, between like going and interning at the gardens, um, I work at a restaurant Patois. I spend three hours here every day. I go home and cook dinner for my family all the time. I mean, it's just like something I do all the time. I think about all the time. I want to share with my friends and family all the time. Um, so this is definitely, I don't think I would have had that without coming to NOCA. It's an honor to meet you. And thanks so much for talking with us. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Dana Tui, department chair of NOCA's culinary arts program and students in NOCA's teaching kitchen. Since this story first ran in 2016, the latter student we spoke with, Sierra Torres, has continued her food education, becoming immersed in the world of agriculture. Sierra now co-runs Cicada Calling, a two-acre diversified vegetable and cut flower farm in southeast Louisiana. Look for her booth at the Crescent City Farmer's Market. Next up, Chef Dee Levine talks about the inspiration she draws from early 20th century chef, cookbook author, and New Orleans TV star Lena Richard, who broke down barriers like she was breaking eggs. Louisiana Eats returns after the break. Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with major support from Crystal Hot Sauce, now celebrating 100 years of hot sauce deliciousness. Always made with just three simple ingredients, aged red cayenne peppers, distilled white vinegar, and salt nothing artificial. Crystal hot sauce. Step out of the heat 
and into the flavor. From Rouse's Markets, synonymous with seafood, straight from Louisiana's waterways, Rouse's Markets tastes like home. And from Camellia Brand, beans done right, a New Orleans tradition since 1923. Camellia is celebrating their centennial with innovations for today's lifestyle. Beans for two. If a bag of beans is too big for your family, Camellia's New Orleans-style red beans for two and Cajun-style white beans for two has everything needed for dinner in today's smaller households. Learn more at CamelliaBrand.com. At her delightful Rue School of Cooking, Chef D. Levine spends countless hours teaching students how to prepare quintessential Creole dishes, such as gumbo, jambalaya, and bananas foster. Located in the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, Delightful Rue is notable for being the only black-owned cooking school with a New Orleans native as a teacher. When the kitchen gets hot and the days get long, Chef D draws inspiration from the life of Lena Richard. A woman of color living in Jim Crow, New Orleans, Richard was a culinary trailblazer. By the 1940s, she had become the Crescent City's premier caterer, a renowned cookbook author, and the first TV food personality. Fourteen years before Julia Child's show debuted. Richard was, incidentally, the first black woman to open and run a cooking school in New Orleans. Eighty years later, Chef D is the second. Joining us in our studio, D recounted the life of her personal hero. So Lena Richard was a phenomenal chef, an amazing woman. Um, she was born in Louisiana in the late 19, I believe she was born in 1892 uh, in New Roads, Louisiana. But she grew up here in New Orleans and she kind of got her cooking bones, I would say, around 14. She was, her mother actually was working for a local family here in New Orleans, the Barron family. And at 14, they kind of hired her to kind of make breakfast for the kids, right? Just a small task. You know, you're doing breakfast, a little light lunch, N nothing super important at that point. So she kind of fell in love with doing what she was doing. Um, and I think it kind of made her want to impress just a little bit to say, listen, I can do more than make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or I can make more than grits. And so she started to just kind of, you know, test the waters a little bit. Um, I, I believe she got invited to help do a brunch. And that's where I would say the the fishing line went out and it hooked. And that pretty much the rest is history. That's what really, really did it for her. So Lena Richard then becomes truly New Orleans premier caterer. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think she was 26, um, still working with the Varon family, 
And that's when she actually went to culinary school, per se. And where'd she go? She went to the Fannie Farmer Cooking School in Boston, um, which is interesting that she had to travel all the way to Boston, right, to kind of get this professional credential to say, yes, you know, you're trained to be a chef. Except, D, when she got there, what did she really learn? Um, She learned that she already knew it. I mean, that she had it already. I think that was one of the biggest things that she learned. And it was so interesting that even within the class with the other women that were in her class, they were taking notes on what she was doing. Um, you know, I guess to say, oh, my goodness, like, all right, we got to sit back, pay attention. She actually knows something. There's so much about this that just breaks my heart. As I understand it, they had to poll the white class members to see if they'd take the black woman that, up in correct. Boston. Yep. It was an eight-week course, and before she could go or be accepted, they had to reach out to every single woman that was in that class to make sure that it was okay. She literally had to have their permission to join that class. So she comes back to New Orleans, and she's the premier caterer, and I guess everybody wants her recipes, and that's how her cookbook gets published in 1939? Yeah, so of course she's still cooking, and People are trying her food, and it's not like, oh, my goodness, make that again for me. It's like, I need the recipe for that. And, you know, that is really what kind of pushed her into saying, you know what, maybe, you know, for me, I'm like, she's probably thinking, I got to stop with the calls, right? Everybody's trying to hound me down. They want this recipe, that recipe. Maybe I'll put them all together. And then I'm sure the idea blossomed into her publishing the very first African-American Creole cookbook. Well, She wasn't writing this cookbook for rich New Orleans white ladies. Who was who did she really write the book? for? She was writing it literally for her community. Um, She could see the disparity in pay, um, somewhat a little bit lack of skill. And that's one of the reasons why she created the cooking school. She wanted to teach people in her actual community how to you know, give white glove service, how to really up your game in this in this industry that you're working in right now, but have enough skill that they can pay you more. That that really was the focus of this cooking school. And whether that was actually working in the kitchen or front of the house, she wanted to make sure that you were prepared, that you could do almost any job, you could demand more money. And so there's this dichotomy that exists where she opens up a restaurant and then she gets a great offer up north and she goes up north, but she keeps coming back here. What's up with that? Um, It's just about being rooted, I think. Um, Obviously, her family was still here. She loved the people of this city of New Orleans. She loved New Orleans. And, you know, it doesn't matter how long you are away or where or how far you always seem to come back. And, I mean, I could speak of that myself. Um, But, yeah, she really had an attachment to the city. I think she saw where it could go and try to single-handedly change um, some of the treatment and how people were being treated and paid to give them a little bit of a better life. It's an incredible thing that she's doing that results. This, to me, is the most mind-blowing thing 
that she accomplished. In 1949, the Stern family and WDSU, they're just getting their feet wet in this new frontier of television. And there's Lena. Yeah. But that should tell you a little bit about just her skill level and and how great she was, how wonderful of a chef she was, that even women that didn't own televisions were like, oh, my goodness, we have to tune in. I want to see, you know, what is this magic that she's doing? Her food is fantastic. I want to, you know, they were, I'm sure, applauding from the back. Like, yes, put this lady on TV. You know, we need to see this every single week as much as we can. And it actually, that's what turned into her being on live twice a week. Twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's right. I wish we could watch one of those episodes. Yeah, I I do too. Um, It's just been something missing in history, you know, that, of course, the news station was just starting. They didn't have enough equipment to record. They were literally just broadcasting live. You know, when we think about the time in the city of New Orleans, I don't even think people owned that many televisions in the city. It was all still brand new technology, you know, so it's like if you wanted to see something, it was almost a big social gathering. Everybody's going to one house to watch this thing, whatever it was going to be on TV. And, you know, it kind of went from there. But them not having the ability to record is why we don't have any of her actual recorded shows. Before her untimely death, and she was so young, what was she, 50? Yeah. Yeah, she was 50 years old. How in the world would you tell me about her frozen food business? That is incredible to know that you had such a following that you could prepare meals, have them frozen and packed and shipped. I mean, we're still in this early 1940s era of Jim Crow South segregation that you actually have a frozen food company. Like, that's incredible. I mean, just the thought of that. And that's why I always say I feel like she was a lady from the future that got picked up and dropped off in the past. She was doing things so well ahead of any anyone that would dare be her competition, I would say that. She was, she was an excellent entrepreneur. She was definitely a well-trained businesswoman. So tell me, Dee, with that one beautiful book that she wrote in 1939, which I guess has really been your only guidepost to her recipes, what of Lena Richards' cooking stays with you? So I will say that she has minimal ingredients with really big flavor. Um As I was working on one of her dishes, the shrimp bisque that I did for the Smithsonian, when I first looked at that recipe, I'm like, no way, this has to be a mistake, right? This is, something's missing. There's not enough ingredients. There's not enough what we call seasoning, right? There's not enough trinity in this dish. I, I don't even know how she accomplished this. And so I obviously set out on the mission to create, recreate the food that she was making. And found that two things influenced that. Definitely fresh is better, which is always the thing, but it's time, right? She, They had more time. When I think about the differences in the world we live in now as opposed to the one that she was cooking in, 
they didn't have as many distractions. They didn't have as many uh, things that kept them awake or away from the house or, you know, out and about. I mean, my day is filled from the time I wake up and I open my eyes and my feet hit the floor. I am busy until I'm back in bed. And I think just the time of being able to cook those dishes, allowing the flavors to actually cook and shine through is definitely something that I will never forget out of her out of her cookbook. Well, I'm so glad you've been taking those cooking lessons from the ghost of Lena Richard. And I'm so grateful that we could bring her story to my Louisiana Eats listeners. Definitely. I'm happy that I'm able to just speak on a legacy of a woman that was incredible. That was Chef D. Levine owner of the delightful Rue School of Cooking, speaking with us about the life and legacy of culinary entrepreneur, Lena Richard. Who was cooking school legend, Madeline Kamen? Stay tuned, and we'll answer that question when we come right back. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Louisiana Eats is brought to you with support from Louisiana Fish Fry, now doing for chicken what they've always done for fish. Fried chicken tenders, wings, sandwiches, and more. Louisiana Fish Fry has you covered with a mix specially for chicken. Louisiana Fish Fry, because life needs Louisiana flavor. And from Visit the North Shore, discover world-class culinary flavors on the North Shore this fall. Experience the bounty of the bayou and the rich culture from award-winning chefs, soulful mom-and-pop restaurants, extraordinary bakers, and creative mixologists. To learn more, request the Explore the North Shore Visitor Guide for inspirational stories, custom itineraries, and event information at visitthenorthshore.com St. Tammany Parish Louisiana's easy escape just 40 minutes from New Orleans French Quarter Here's this week's culinary quiz question brought to you with support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen Who was cooking school legend Madeline Kamen? Well, for starters, she was my cooking teacher. Back in the early 80s, I first met the brilliant chef, writer, and teacher when she came to New Orleans for a special series on classical French cuisine at Lee Barnes Cooking School. I was smitten from the start. At that time, I had already moved up from assistant to sometimes cooking teacher at Lee's school and others across the Gulf South. 
In Madeline's classes, she not only taught the precise methods of the masters, but included all the food science and food history imaginable. I knew that was exactly how I wanted to teach, so I signed up for her intensive professional course, a six-month stint with Madeline and five other students, which upon completion would give me a chef's diploma and a cooking teacher's diploma. Madeline's was the only school offering such accreditation, so I was willing to spend two years on the waiting list for her classes in Annecy, France. When my number finally came up, Madeline had moved her school to Shakurawa, New Hampshire. We all lived in a 200-year-old inn, six students studying and cooking six days a week, for six months, exploring France and the food of Europe through Madeline's eyes. A thoroughly delicious trip indeed. Our textbook was her book, The Making of a Cook, originally published in 1971. It remains my number one go-to for recipes, formulas, baking and roasting times, you name it, it's all in that book. Madeline reprised The Making of a Cook in 1997, where the page count grew from just under 600 pages to well over a thousand. Whew! I still love the original and bless my cooking teacher every time I reach for it. Madeline Kamen died in 2018 at the age of 87 but her recipes and tales stay alive in the hands of her students, those who continue to pass on her wisdom and knowledge today. I'm Poppy Tooker, and you're listening to Louisiana Eats. A celebrated authority on French cooking, British-born Anne Willen has over 50 years of experience as a teacher and culinary historian. She's a prolific author whose award-winning cookbooks are available in 35 different languages. But Anne is perhaps best known as the founder of the prestigious La Varenne Cooking School, which operated in Paris and Burgundy, France from 1975 until 2007. Upon enrolling at La Varenne in Paris, all students were given a booklet containing 50 recipes. The reference tool was based on the belief of one of the instructors that there are only 50 basic recipes in the culinary repertoire and all the other dishes can be made from them. In 2015, Anne published a book that contained all those essential recipes entitled Secrets from the La Varenne Kitchen. When the paperback came out, we had the honor of speaking with Anne about her book, her life, and her extraordinary career in the culinary arts. Anne Willen, welcome to Louisiana Eats. Tell me about starting La Varenne, and tell me about the life's path that took you that way. Well, it was quite a winding path. 
goodness. I was born in Yorkshire, in England, in the heart of the countryside, just before World War Two. I had a very classic English education, boarding school, then three years at Cambridge University, where I graduated in economics. And in those days, 1959, we were only two women among a hundred men in the class, and there was nothing for a woman to do with a degree in economics. <laughs> so I cast about a bit because I really wanted to get a job. And I went to teach needlework and dressmaking. The school was affiliated with the Cordamble in London. I went then for a three-month advanced course. They asked me to stay on to teach, and the rest really is history, though <laughs> it's bounced around from Paris to New York to Washington, D.C., and back to Paris again when I found in Lover End. Well, there are many people who I'm sure wish they could time travel back to before 2007 when you closed Lavaran. Would you talk to us about the Lavaran experience, what it would have been like to have the opportunity to study with you there? Well, we were always very hands-on. Students, and we took quite a lot of trainees too, were always in the kitchen cooking and all the teaching was done not by me, but by French chefs, because I still feel strongly that there are wonderful culinary roots in technique and approach to cooking that you really still, I don't want to be too categoric, but you <laughs> find very strongly in France. And so I wanted all the teaching to be done by French chefs in French because it's different if you try to teach in a foreign language. Um, when you're talking about something that you love in your own language, it comes across much more vividly. Yes, you can hear that passion. During your time running La Varenne, were there ever any hopeless students? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, I mean, there were, of course, um, the wrong people in the wrong place. And they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Possibly in the early days, their parents had hoped that they might pick up some cooking would be useful in later life. There were a few of those. But the ones that were really sad were the ones who really, really wanted to cook and simply didn't get it. <laughs> and you kind of, when some, even now, when a trainee walks into the kitchen, I know within five minutes, if they're going to, A, really enjoy it, but B, have that kind of empathy for food and creating things with food that makes 
a really good cook. And um, the instance I give is a trainee we had, and we kept the food locked in the cellar, and though it was an ancient cellar, and had only one key. The key got lost. Oh, no. The trainee had lost it. We looked all over. Nice guy. He tried to help. It was finally found. He dropped it from his pocket into the bucket of stock. Oh, no. You know... Poor guy. He was mortified. Anyway, all's well that ends well. We were able to open up shop. But, you know, some people just don't understand quite why you whisk in a figure of eight and that sort of thing. Let's get to your book, Anne. It's a little book. It's not the gigantic tome that you would expect if... You were going to have all your secrets locked up in one book. Uh How did you make the selections? And what's the most challenging thing between those pages? The selection made itself. It dates right back to the beginning of the school when we found we were handing out basic recipes on sheets of paper all the time. And it boiled down to, it turns out, in fact, to be... 50 recipes, but it's things like shoe pastry and pie pastry and meringue and white sauce. And what you need is the method, of course, but above all, the proportions. And this little book we gave to every lover and student, and an amazing number of them have kept the little book. Because when you want to make a medium white sauce that's going to coat your bit of fish or whatever it is, you can look up what you need, and it's all in this little book. What advice would you have for aspiring cooks, home cooks, aspiring chefs? What's the best advice you can give them? Don't be nervous. Just go into the kitchen, start cooking, and you'll very quickly realize what it's all about. Get a good cookbook. You might want secrets from the Lava and <laughs> Kitchen, but you also probably will want to look at some television programs. Now, one thing I think, or one principle, is very important. Use local ingredients. Go to the local open market. Look around in nearby restaurants. Goodness me, in Louisiana, you have wonderful, wonderful examples of delicious and very individual dishes. And I cannot begin to thank you enough for spending this time with us today on Louisiana Eats. That was just lovely to talk to you about our favorite subject, Poppy. That was Anne Willen, author of Secrets from the La Varenne Kitchen. 
Since we spoke in 2015, the prolific author has published two more books. Her latest traces the origins of American cooking through profiles of 12 essential women cookbook writers. It's called Women in the Kitchen. That's it for this week's edition of Louisiana Eats, edible content for Louisiana food lovers. Catch up on previous editions of Louisiana Eats on poppytooker.com, where over a decade of Louisiana Eats is available for pod and webcasting, along with recipes and cooking class videos, too. And don't forget to rate us on your preferred podcast platform. Louisiana Eats is made possible with major support from Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, Louisiana Fish Fry, Crystal Hot Sauce, Rouse's Markets, Visit the North Shore, and Camellia Beans, celebrating their centennial with an innovative new product, Beans for Two. Camellia's new Red Beans for Two and White Beans for Two include everything needed to cook two authentically seasoned bowls of beans, scaled for today's smaller households. Learn more at CamelliaBrand.com. And from D'Agostino Pasta, celebrating our culture with fleur-de-lis, crawfish, and alligator-shaped pastas. All handcrafted in Louisiana, just as it's been done in Sicily for centuries. Visit D'AgostinoPasta.com to learn more. Original theme music composed by David Pomerlow and performed by Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Big thanks to senior producer Joe Schreiner, producers Blake Longlinay and Steve Himmelfarb, with writing contributions from Becky Retz, and to our business manager and social media maven, Maddie Mulladew. Catch up with us anytime on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, too. Louisiana Eats is a production of Poppy Tooker Broadcasting. <laughs>